I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 14. We're going to be skipping ahead in our study in John a little bit here from chapter 12 to chapter 14. And the reason for that is because I want to talk about the triumphal entry and the Last Supper and those kind of things when we come to the week before Easter. So we're going to pick up the discussion that Jesus had with the disciples in the upper room in John chapter 14 and talk about this this morning. Listen to uh, verses 1 to 14 as I read that for us. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. And he will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for these passages of Scripture that speak about such wonderful promises that Jesus made. A way to the Father. A way to honor and glorify you. A way to see you at work in our life and in our world. A way to find answers to prayer. Lord, would you teach us today as we look at the Scripture and show us what it is that you want us to do in response to your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give the setting for this passage by telling you a little bit of what took place at the end of chapter 13. At the end of chapter 13, Jesus tells his disciples that he is going to be leaving them and that where he is going, they cannot follow. At least not now. They will follow him later, but not at this time. And when they hear that, Peter, who is the spokesperson, protests and says, Why not, Lord? You know, I'll lay down my life for you. I'll follow you anywhere that you go. And Peter confront, and Jesus confronts Peter and says, Will you, Peter? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now imagine that you were there in that room. 
And you have heard these things. You have followed Jesus. You have left your jobs. You've left your vocation. You are following Jesus. And you think that Jesus is indeed the Messiah who has come. And this is the time for the kingdom to be established. And then you hear Jesus say that I'm going to leave you. And you can't follow me. One of you is going to betray me. And Peter, who is the spokesperson for the group, is told that before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. No wonder their hearts were troubled. I mean, everything seemed to be coming apart. This wasn't the way that it was supposed to be. Do you ever feel like that in life? There are times when things like that can happen to us as well in our life. I think of how many people plan when they look at their life and they think of what they want to do in the future. You know, they want to grow up, they want to get a good job, get married, have kids, settle down, and live life happily ever after. But life doesn't go that smoothly, does it? There are struggles along the way. There can be financial struggles, there can be challenges with your work, there can be marital struggles. There can be difficulties in raising children and wanting them to take the right steps, and sometimes they don't. There can be illnesses or sickness, loss, even death that comes in an untimely way. What do you do? I mean, we live in a troubled world. All you have to do is watch the news. You know, each and every day they remind us of the stories of what's going on in our world. And it's been that since the beginning of time. There have been wars and violence. There has been injustice and cruelty. There's been famine and disease. Some people look at this world too and they are more prone to worry than others. There are people who worry not just about real issues but even potential fears. Things that might happen or could happen. And Jesus says, I don't want you to live like that. Always fretful, always anxious, always troubled. No, he says in this passage, trust in God, trust also in me. And what we see in a passage like this is that the antidote to fear and worry is faith. The way to deal with those fears or worries that we have in life is to bring them to God and to trust Him. To trust Him that His way is best. And that He is good. Why should we not be troubled? Well, in this passage, there are three things I'd like to point out for you this morning. Number one, Jesus tells us that our future is secure. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. He reminds us that we have a home in heaven and that Jesus is preparing a place for us someday. And I want you to note or think about that when Jesus talked about heaven, He never speculated about it, did He? You know, we speculate, what's it going to be like in heaven? You know, is it going to be like this or that? Or or who will we see? Or will we recognize each other? Or what age is everybody, everybody going to be? Or things like that. We speculate about such things. But when Jesus spoke about heaven, He spoke as one who had been there. He spoke in certainties. And He described it with words that were familiar to the disciples and to us. He said it's like a house with many rooms. And that's the way that houses were built in Galilee. 
in that day and age, if you were going to uh, add on to the house, you know, you built onto your father's house. And your father's house had many rooms, and it probably had a courtyard there that everyone could gather in. And if you were getting married and going to take a bride, you would go to your father's house and you would build on an extra room. You'd prepare a room for your bride to come and to be with you. And Jesus is saying, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to go to my father's house. And in my father's house are many rooms. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. But this place is different from anything that we know on earth. It is permanent and eternal. We don't know anything like that. But we long for that, don't we? We long for it whether we recognize it or not. Every time a loved one dies, we long for that day when we will not be separated by death or the pain and sorrow that we feel. Every time we have to move again and again or family members move away or have to leave for a time, we're reminded of how temporary and transient this life is. I think about friends that I have all over the country or literally even all over the world that I just love and I would love to spend more time with them, but I can't because we are separated by miles, by distance. And we long for that day when we'll be able to see each other and spend all the time together that we want to. We long for that every time we work to build something up only to see it wear out, run down, or be destroyed. We long for something that's permanent and eternal every time we see our bodies getting older and time passing us by. And we long for a place that is permanent, eternal. C.S. Lewis called this the inconsolable longing. Here's what he said. He said, There have been times when I think we do not desire heaven. But more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have ever desired anything else. It is the secret signature of each soul, the incommunicable and unappeasable want, the thing we desired before we met our wives or made our friends or chose our work, and which we shall still desire on our deathbeds when the mind no longer knows wife or friend or work. We long for a place we can call home. Even Abraham, the patriarch, longed for his heavenly home. We read about that in Hebrews 11, where Abraham was called by God to leave his family and his country and to go to a place that he had never been to before. He was going to the promised land, and God was going to show him the way to get to this land and direct him. And so Abraham obeyed and he went out not knowing where he was going. But he was longing for something beyond an earthly home. For in Hebrews 11.10 the scripture says that he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He had a greater hope too than just simply finding a place in this world. He wanted to find that city that is built by God Himself. And do you notice what Jesus says here about this place? He says, I am preparing a place for you. Jesus, who knows you intimately, is preparing a place for you. And in that place, you will feel more at home than you have ever 
developed. Now, I don't want to take this too far. Okay, I'm going to say this is in the margin. This isn't in the text, but this is in the margin. But think about what that may mean. When a family such as the Coxleys has a new baby, what do you do when you bring that baby home? How do you get ready for the birth of a baby? Well, you decorate that room, don't you? And you get it ready. And if it's a boy, you decorate it for a boy. If it's a girl, for a girl. You have a crib there. You have uh, mobiles. You have toys. You have bright colors. You paint the walls. You do everything to prepare that place for that newborn child. As that child grows older, what do you do? Well, you put things on the wall that reflect their interests or their hobbies or the things that they like. You prepare a place for them so that it seems like home. It's the things that they enjoy. And I wonder, when I think about heaven and Jesus preparing a place for us, if you're an artist, will there be paint and an easel there for you? If you're a musician, will there be a piano in your room? If you love to fish, will there be a fishing rod there even? I don't know. But I know that Jesus takes great care. And I believe that He is preparing a place where you are going to feel so very, very welcome and at home. It is a place that is fitted and appropriate for you. And Jesus tells us that He will come back to take us to be with Him. Our Lord will take us to be with Himself. He said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with Me, that you also may be where I am. He wants us to be with Him for eternity. And He tells us that His return is as certain as His departure. Just as He left, He will also come again. We read about that in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18, where the Apostle Paul said, According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. You see how Paul states that. He begins by saying that this is according to the Lord's own word. Jesus has given us His promise. He's spoken to this fact that He's going to come again and take us to be with Him. And we will all see this wonderful, beautiful place that He has prepared for us. And one day we're all going to receive our resurrection bodies, a body that is just like Jesus Christ. And whether it is in our death when He returns or whether it is at His second coming, He's coming back for us. And when that day comes, there will be this great reunion in heaven. We will be with those we have loved who have died in the Lord. You know, that thought was present even in the Old Testament. For example, in Genesis 25.8, when Abraham died, it said he died and he was gathered to his people. 
when Isaac died. Genesis 35.29 says that Isaac died and he was gathered to his fathers. And when Jacob died in Genesis 49.33, Jacob was gathered to his fathers, gathered to his people. There is a sense of going home to those who have died in Christ before us or died in faith before us in the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote about that reunion that's going to take place in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 19 and 20. And he said to the Thessalonians, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when He comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. You know, Paul was saying that next is seen Jesus Christ, the greatest joy we will have in heaven will be to see those we have loved and to see those we have helped to get there. What a joy that's going to be. To meet those individuals that you have led to Christ or you have encouraged along the way or whom you have taught or you have prayed for or you have helped by giving to the Lord's work and supporting missionaries and being a part of what they are doing around the world. One day we're going to see those individuals in heaven and rejoice together in what God has done. And doesn't that make you want to so widely and to so generously and to say, Lord, use me. I mean, if that's going to be one of our greatest joys in heaven, shouldn't we give thought to that today? To say, God, how can you use me to be a blessing in the life of others? And Jesus also says that we will be with Him forever. We will see Him face to face. And what glory that will be. In 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3, the Scripture said, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And then John adds this note, that everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as he is pure. That if we share that hope of one day seeing Jesus and standing before him face to face, then there will be that desire in our heart to honor him in the way that we live and to purify ourselves just as he is pure. Do you think about that? What will it be like to stand before him and to meet Jesus And to have Him embrace you and welcome you into His heavenly home. What will you say to Him when your life is reviewed and when you stand before Him to give an account for the way that you have used your gifts and the time that you were given? I don't think any of us want to stand stand before Him feeling like we had wasted our life. Instead, we want to stand before Him really believing that we have given Him our very, very best. This past week, Gail and I went down to the Guthrie Theater and we saw the play, Peer Gint. Now, I had read the storyline of Peer Gint beforehand. It was written by Ibsen, the playwright. And after I read that storyline, I was thinking, oh boy, I don't know how this is going to be. This is kind of a wild tale. How are they going to do this and what's this going to be about? But I was pleasantly surprised. 
Peer Gant is an anti-hero. He's the kind of guy you don't want to be. He's the center of the story, but he's a man who wastes his life in folly, foolishness, trying to live for self. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a cheat. He's a fool in the way that he lives, and that comes out in the story. And it's captured in one scene where, near the end of the play, he meets the troll king. And trolls in Norwegian mythology or in folklore represent everything that is base in human nature. Trolls represent things like gluttony and drunkenness and sloth and lust and pride, folly. All of those kind of things you see in trolls and the way that they live and behave. And at the end of his life, Pear meets the troll king. And the troll king confronts him and says, even though you are a man, you've lived like a troll all your life. In fact, in a humorous way, he says, you've been a troll model all your life. And it's only when Pear sees what he has become and repents and returns to this Christ-like figure, Solvi, in the story that he becomes who he was meant to be. It was a picture of how God wants us to not live our life. He doesn't want us to be a fool and to squander the time and the gifts and the resources and abilities that we've been given just simply following the way of the world. He wants us to live our life so that when we stand before Him one day, we will be able to honor Him by what we have done. Thomas asked the question of Jesus in this passage, Lord, how do we get there? How do we find that heavenly home? How do we become the kind of person that You want us to be? Well, this passage tells us so very clearly that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. Jesus is the way to find forgiveness of sins. He's the way to find healing for life's hurts and wounds. He's the way to find meaning and purpose in life. He's the way to find reconciliation with God and man. He's the way to find hope and salvation. He's the way to find eternal life. There is no other way. He's the only way to God because He is the truth of God. And He is the life of God. To know Jesus is to know the Father. He says that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Thomas, or Philip, excuse me, didn't understand. And he said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. He wanted some kind of theophany, some kind of dramatic appearance. And Jesus was really stunned by that. He said, don't you know me, Philip? even after I have been among you such a long time. 
Three years traveling together. Three years of seeing the miracles that he had performed. Of hearing his teaching. Philip, don't you understand that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father? How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? You see, Jesus is the perfect reflection of God. He tells us that I and the Father are one. In the book of Hebrews, we read that He is the exact representation of His being. And Paul writes in Colossians 2.9 that in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. The words Jesus speaks are the Father's words. The works Jesus does are the Father's works. The miracles He performed are the miracles that God wanted Him to perform. So what do we know about God from Jesus' life? We know that He has power over sickness and death. He has power over Satan and demons. He has power over nature and all created things. He has the power to forgive us our sins and to give us eternal life. We know that He hates sin and will judge wickedness. Yet we know that He is gracious and compassionate. He forgives us our sins and He loves us unconditionally. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He called the disciples to place their confidence, their trust in Him. And in verses 12 to 14, He says, I tell you the truth, that anyone who has faith in Me will do what I have been doing. And He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Whoever believes in Me will do even greater things than Jesus did. I mean, how can that be? What does that mean? What are the greater works that we shall do? Well, they are not greater in quality or in power. How could any miracles be more spectacular than Jesus healing a blind man or raising Lazarus from the dead? I mean, you can't do miracles greater than those that Jesus already performed. No, the greater works that we should participate in are greater in scope and in number. More people came into the kingdom on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 individuals, than in Jesus' entire ministry. And when you think of how the disciples took the gospel to the ends of the world as they knew it at that time, all over the Mediterranean world and into the Persian and Turkish world and into India, nations far from where they had started out, we recognize that Jesus never left Palestine. All of His ministry was in that region of Galilee and Judea and Perea. But the disciples would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so are we to be involved in those kind of greater works of Jesus. To introduce others to Christ and to help to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. The power to do these works comes through prayer. That's in the end of verses 13 and 14. He says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. It's like He's already signed the check. And here it is. And if you ask and pray for those things that are according to My will, 
that will bring honor and glory to the Father, then I will do them. Pray and ask. Pray and ask. So why should we not be troubled in this world in which there are trials and difficulties? It is because we have a great God and we can trust Him. It's because we have a great future. It is secure. We have a home in heaven. And it's because we have a great work to do to join with Christ in bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. So don't waste your life, but make it count for eternity. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for these words of Jesus that are filled with tremendous promises. Lord, help us to live our life in a way that honors You, that trusts You in the trials that we go through, that looks for opportunities to serve You and to point others to Christ. Lord, may our hope be set on heaven as well. And that day when we will see You face to face and rejoice with those who have come to know Christ through our lives, through our ministry, through the opportunities that we have had to serve You. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.